episode five. I am absolutely thrilled that you guys have listened this far and we're at episode five. I am so pumped. This is one of my favorite topics that we're going to talk about tonight. So if you're just tuning in, this is murder, mystery, and history. My name's Christy. And I want to talk about something that I guess is personal to me. I guess you could say it's personal, but I have read about this topic. This is a straight history episode. I have read about this period in time more often than I could even recall. We're talking the Tudors. I have I have read about the Tudors much like Greek mythology since I was a preteen. I'm I'm fairly sure. I I can actually vividly remember the first time I heard of the Tudors and I can vividly remember the very first book I had about the Tudors. So Scholastic had these books and they were called um Royal Diaries and they were they were all diaries of different historical women which appeal to your girl a lot. And I had I had a whole bunch of them. I still have them. But the one I remember getting was one of the first ones I got and it was still one of my favorite ones. It was Elizabeth the 1st, the Red Rose of the House of Tudor. And I I if you were to hand me that book, I could tell you word for word. I read that book so much. It was one of my favorite books. And I I still have the book and I still look at it sometimes. It makes me really happy. Um, It started a love for the Tudors for me, quite honestly. And I consider that book a good starting point for me because it, it brought me in. And I wanted to know more, like, what was going on with this family. So, we've gone down my memory lane quite enough for tonight. So let's get into Mary and Elizabeth. And what you'll need to know first and foremost is the Tudor dynasty should never have actually ruled England. They had a very weak claim at best to the throne of England. I'm not going to get into the War of the Roses. That'll probably be another episode. But that's that's how the Tudors came to power. And the other thing you'll have to understand is Mary and Elizabeth's father was King Henry VIII. He was very large. He was very in charge. What he's most remembered for is having six wives. There's actually a rhyme that um, they teach us to school children in England. I'm told. I don't know. If you're from England, please correct me. But this is how, this is the rhyme they would remember on Henry VIII's queens. Died, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. I don't I don't want to go too much into Henry VIII because we're going to have a whole episode on him and his six wives, but what you need to know about Henry was he was a megalomaniac. First and foremost. Um, he was in love with the idea of love. He was never, I don't think he ever truly was in love. More on that in another episode. And what you should know is Henry was never supposed to be king. He was the heir to spare. When he was born, he was destined for life in the church. Which is ironic if we want to start talking about his life. Anyways, we're getting too much into Henry. We're getting too much into Henry. Um, 
And I'm only going to talk about Elizabeth before she was a queen because she accomplished so much as a queen that deserves a full episode. There's two two very different facets to who Elizabeth was pre-queen and past queen. So let's get into it. Mary was born February 17th, 18th, I don't know why I said 17th, 18th, 15th, 16th. She was the only child of Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII out of 17 stillbirths and miscarriages. For this reason, she was doted on as a child, and she was widely considered the heir to the throne of England when Henry died. She was also raised devoutly Catholic. This is very, very, very important to keep in mind. And she was titled the Princess of Wales. This was a title only reserved for the heir to the throne of England. And you would go and she would actually go and hold court in the Welsh marshes, which is pretty huge. She spoke around five or six languages, and she at least knew how to read Greek, which is very interesting. That was such a big thing then. Henry would negotiate marriages for her, including a marriage to the French heir, her cousin, Charles of Spain, which was actually very normal in that time period, don't come for me. And in the last marriage proposal was discussed with Scotland. And this never panned out, though. I'll get into how Henry negotiated marriages for his daughters. We'll get into that. Mary's teen years were hard. Really hard. In 1531, she was no longer permitted to see her mother. At best, she was allowed to write. And that wasn't often. This was in 1531, remember? So she was struggling with depression, irregular periods. The irregular periods could have been from fasting. That was fashionable at the time. You would fast for days to show religious devotion. So this actually could have been from fast, from religious devotion, why she was having irregular periods. But that's neither here nor there. And quite possibly a disease. We don't know that for sure. And for a child who was never denied anything, what happened next is shocking. It was sharp. It was painful. It was cruel. In 1533, on September 7th, Elizabeth was born. Mary's world changed in so many ways. She was no longer the Princess of Wales. She was illegitimate. She was no longer a princess. She was only styled My Lady Mary. Being declared illegitimate and not born of a lawful marriage was pretty damning in that time period. Not only would it have been absolutely humiliating, especially at her age, this hurt or destroyed any potential marriage proposals that would come, if any. Because you have to understand, because of who Mary's father was, she couldn't go run out and marry just anybody. They had to be either above her station or at her station. And as a princess of the blood, she would have had to marry a prince. But now that she's illegitimate, she can't marry anybody beneath her. And she can't marry anybody above her. She's stuck in this limbo. So now she's stuck with Henry. Now she can't leave. 
her estates would have been dissolved, her house disbanded. She became a servant to her baby sister. When we talk about estates dissolving, that's any taxes that were due, like on farms or something she would have quote-unquote owned. This would have been if her house disbanded, any and all servants she had would have been transferred to her sister. So essentially, baby Elizabeth, anything that Mary had that was given to her by the crown would have transferred immediately to Elizabeth. So just imagine having all this money and then all of a sudden you're told it doesn't even belong to you. You don't even need it. You're a servant. Moving forward, Mary refused to acknowledge Elizabeth's mother as queen and Elizabeth as the Princess of Wales. In stubborn determination, much like the Tudor she was, this enraged Henry beyond belief. Mary's whole life became more restricted. Her movements weren't even allowed anymore. And by movements, she wasn't allowed to go from house to house to house. Not that she could because she's a servant to her baby sister now. Um, the more she fought, the more Henry kept squeezing, for lack of better words. And one of the things that Mary fought the most was when Henry created his own church and he was the head of it. Now before, how do I word this? Mary was a devout Catholic and this would have been damning to her. In order to divorce Mary's mother, to marry his second wife, Henry had to create his own church and disband from Catholicism because the Pope refused to grant him a divorce. I know you're like, hey, you're leaving out big pieces of the story, and I am. I'm sorry, but we got it. We're getting through this, and I promise there will be an episode on Henry and his wives. Now, because Henry did all of this to marry somebody else and divorce her mother, Mary was upset, for lack of better words, and being raised devoutly Catholic, this is this is awful. He would do it. Now, there are letters that are sent to Mary religiously. And by religiously, these letters are saying, if you sign this letter, there will be no more restrictions. You can come to court. You'll still be illegitimate, but you'll be allowed some freedom. She still refused because she was not going to say she was illegitimate. Her parents' marriage wasn't valid. These were things she just did not want to agree to. And you have to think, would you agree to that if you were 17? Moody? And your whole world just got flipped on you? I wouldn't. Mind you, I was a horrible teenager. Let's move forward. It got to the point where grown men were bullying a 17-year-old girl. And it it's pretty awful. There are still documents showing what was said to Mary, and I'm going to read you an expert from one. Now, it's never really generally stated who, like, the ringleader is or who said this to Mary, but the theory is there's somebody called um, Norfolk, the Duke of Norfolk, was generally suspected to have made this comment, and he would have probably been 
late 40s, early 50s. Again, this is just suspected that Norfolk said this, but there is no valid proof that he said this, but there is proof that a man said this to a 17-year-old girl. And I quote, Since she was such an unnatural daughter as to disobey completely the king's instructions, I could hardly believe that she was the king's own bastard daughter. Were she his or any other man's daughter, he would beat her to death or strike her head against the wall until he made it as soft as a boiled apple. In short, she was a traitor. She would be punished as such. A man, possibly in his late fifties, said this to a 17-year-old girl because she refused to sign something. Soft as a boiled apple. I would have beat you to death. Disgusting. Disgusting. Let's be honest. Shortly after the statement was made, she signed the document saying her parents' marriage was wrong, she was illegitimate, and Henry was head of the church. She regretted this the rest of her life. Well, the relationship between Mary and Henry strained even worse. In 1536, Mary's mother died. Mary hadn't seen her mother in years and was inconsolable as one would be. At this point is where both sisters enter the story as sisters. In 1536, Elizabeth's mother was executed. Mary was restored to grace with Henry and resumed her place in court. A two, almost three-year-old Elizabeth was banished from court. She reminded Henry of her mother. Eventually in 1537, upon request of his third queen, Elizabeth was restored to the king's graces upon the birth of his third and final child, Edward. Elizabeth was now illegitimate as well. She was also styled My Lady Elizabeth. In 1539, Mary was courted by the Duke of Bavaria, but this never panned out either. Henry had this habit of promising or arranging marriages for his daughters and deciding at the last minute it wasn't promising enough. He used his daughters as chess pieces and he never really intended for them to leave England. Three queens later and Henry died, 1547. Before his death, he put in his will his heirs. Now, pardon me, when you look at the will of Henry VIII, he included something called the Law of Succession. And when we talk about the law of succession, there is a specific format, for lack of better words, that he used. Edward was to reign next, and Edward, any heirs of Edward's body, which means any sons, daughters, children that he inspired, for lack of better words, would be, would rule over England. Should Edward fail to have any heirs, the crown would revert back to Mary and any heirs of her body would rule England. And should she have no heirs, the crown goes to Elizabeth. The way this is done is to essentially ensure that neither of his daughters, particularly Elizabeth, would ever rule England. Because he always assumed that Edward 
would live. Edward would be this great strong king. My, how interesting the story gets. So, Edward became king, and upon his death, or upon Edward becoming king, he was raised staunchly Protestant. Remember, Mary was staunchly Catholic. It was at the point, this 13-year-old boy, he wasn't 13, anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Edward had ruled that if you were practicing Catholicism, you could be imprisoned. It was at the point that in England at this time, if you were, you would have, be having Catholic masses and Catholic services in hiding them. People would actually have these compartments in their house to hide Catholic priests. They were doing actual raids of people's houses to ensure that there were no Catholic masses going on. Now, during a Christmas celebration in 1550, Edward, 13 years old, berated Mary, who was at least 20 years older than him, for practicing Catholicism. She openly practiced it and basically said, let the king come get me. And it's interesting to note that this 13-year-old berated her so badly that Mary started crying and left the court. And Mary actually rarely attended court for this reason and stuck to her own lands in the north. Now, at 14 years old, Edward was dying. Edward was always a sickly kid, but he was scared of dying. And his advisors bullied him basically into changing the will of succession, naming Lady Jane Grey as his heir. And there will be an episode on this too because this is so convoluted and I'm like name dropping and nobody knows what I'm talking about. Lady Jane Grey was a cousin of his. He was actually expected to marry her, but when it was revealed he was dying, she was married off to the Dudley family. We'll have to do an episode on the Dudleys now that I'm talking about it. Okay. So. Mary was sent request to come to court because Edward was dying. Edward was dying. You need to come say goodbye. But she was warned. Don't go to court until you know Edward is dead because there was a plot to murder and mill Mary plot to murder and kill Mary actually and she had been warned by a supporter of hers that was actually in the court being her little espionage spy now Jane Grey became a queen on July 10th and she was no longer a queen by July 19th Mary had actually amassed a considerable amount of of men to constitute an army and took her throne that was rightfully hers Mary rode into London on August 3rd 1553 accompanied by her half-sister Elizabeth Mary was crowned queen on October 1st 1553 Lady Jane Grey 
and her husband were executed. Mary was now 37. She was finally able to do what she pleased whenever she wanted, when she wanted. And for someone whose life had been so restricted, this must have been a breath of fresh air. And one of the things that vexed Mary the most was the lack of a husband, the lack of an heir. So, Queen set her sights on marriage, picking Philip of Spain. And when she announced this, there was actually um, a rebellion called the Wyatt Rebellion that intended to dispose of Mary and replace her with Elizabeth. And the reason was no one wanted to revert back to Catholicism. People were happier as Protestants. But the problem is, Elizabeth now was implicated. It's never really stated whether Elizabeth knew about the Wyatt Rebellion or not. Oh, we'll have to get into that in another episode. Now, the Wyatt Rebellion was squashed. As for Elizabeth, she was placed in the tower on suspecting, on suspected treason and house arrest later on. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss that in a little bit. When Philip came to England to marry Mary, his welcoming was less than welcoming. He and his group of courtiers and attendants were actually pelted by snowballs when they got off the ship. I'm not even kidding. Like, you can Google that. That is 100%. They were pelted by snowballs. Now, Philip and Mary were married July 25th, 1554. And Philip couldn't really speak English at the time, so the two spoke a mixture of Latin and French. And this is where Mary's story becomes absolutely heartbreaking. And I'm sorry if anybody who's struggling with infertility listens to this. This will be a trigger, and I'm so sorry. In 1554, Mary's period stopped. She thought she was pregnant, and so did her court doctors in the last week of April in 1554. Elizabeth was removed from house arrest to see Mary give birth. Nothing happened. Mary continued to think she was pregnant until July of 1554. Mary grieved when it became apparent there was no baby. Philip left and only came back to gather armies for his fight with France. Mary was heartbroken and alone. In 1557, Philip came back for a brief period. Mary again thought she was pregnant. And the baby would come in March of 1558. There wasn't a baby. Mary was forced to accept that Elizabeth would be the successor. There would be no baby. There would be no heir. Mary died in November of 1558, possibly from ovarian cancer. Her husband remarked, I felt a reasonable regret for her death. 
Mary worshipped the ground this man walked on, and that's all he could say. Mary wanted to be buried next to her mother. This didn't happen. Perhaps she wanted to spend the time she was denied in life with her mother in death. One must feel some sort of measure of sadness for Mary. You have to. Now we're gonna get talk talking. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna touch on this because somebody's gonna tell me that I forgot about this, and I didn't forget about this. There is something in Mary's reign that has referred to her as Bloody Mary. This is actually part of where the Bloody Mary myth comes into play. If you look into it, one of the contributing factors here is actually Mary the First of England. So. There were 280 Protestants burned at the stake on Mary's command. She thought she was doing the right thing for England. She wasn't. Her reign was not as prosperous as Elizabeth's. She lost land, let out money. Elizabeth's reign was different. There are reasons why we remember the bad things about Mary's reign because there weren't very many good ones. So she burned 280 Protestants at the stake. That number is greatly exaggerated a lot. Um, it was not the right thing to do. She shouldn't have even had the stake. That shouldn't have happened. I'm not condoning Mary's actions. I think she thought she was doing the right thing. And I do think that later on in her life, she regretted that. Can I, can I know that for sure? Probably not. Can I make the theory that she did regret it? Yeah, I do. And I do think that you sh there has to be some measure of sadness for Mary. She thought she was doing all the right things. But she wasn't. And it, it's hard when you talk about Mary because you talk about these things and you... Her life wasn't easy. Not that any life is easy. Especially one who was born with so much privilege. You'd think her life would have been a lot easier. And in some terms, it was. But in other terms, it wasn't. So, let's get to my girl Elizabeth now. So we kind of left off... Elizabeth's three years old and I didn't want to overwhelm anyone with the story at this point and this might have to be a two-part episode I don't know it might be maybe well if we're talking about her reign as queen then yeah it's gonna be two part. anyway anyways so Elizabeth spoke a numerous amount of languages and one of her favorite pastimes was translating Latin or Greek into English and then back into Latin or Greek didn't do this in times of great duress as a way to to quiet her troubled mind. When her brother was born, like her sister, she was stripped of all of her titles and forced to serve in his household. And Elizabeth saw the queens come and go, but the last two queens made the most oppression on Elizabeth. Catherine Howard was the fifth queen of Henry. She was also distantly related to Elizabeth and treated Elizabeth with fierce compassion. For the first time in Elizabeth's life, somebody actively sought out her company. 
Somebody actively looked out for her. Somebody actively acted like a mother to her. She was finally at the banquet. She was finally at court. And most importantly, it seemed like her father loved her for the first time. Catherine Howard was executed. The party stopped for Elizabeth. When Henry married again, he chose Catherine Parr. He married a lot of Catherines, actually. I found that interesting. He ended up going to war and leaving Catherine in charge. This would have been the last war that Henry Parr took in. Um, and this was the first solid female role in leadership, showing and proving a woman could be in charge. And this made a lasting impact on Elizabeth. She would remember this for the rest of her life. And she may have used this as an example as how to rule. Now, when Henry died, Elizabeth was found weeping with Edward. And it was actually feared that she had too much influence on the young king. So she had to go. Now, there are two very important men in this story that play interesting parts. The Lord Protector of the Realm was, was Edward's uncle, which was Edward Seymour, which in essence is de facto king in all but name. And he would rule in Edward's name until Edward reached his majority, which would have been 14, maybe 12, depending. But it probably would have been until Edward was a man, depending. People are crazy for power. Let's be real. So Elizabeth needed to go, but where could she go? She had a couple of options. And the two options that are most important to her, had she have chosen one over the other, it would have changed her life. And her life may not have been such a struggle. So, she could go live with Catherine Parr on her third marriage to Edward's other uncle, Thomas Seymour. Or she could go live with Mary, devout Catholic Mary. Elizabeth had a choice to make. Did she regret the choice she made? This is something that I've often wondered about and various historians have wondered, had she have picked the other house, would it have been different? So she chose, well, it would have been different. It would have been different, but would it, that by choosing that, would it have been easier for her to get to the throne? So we'll get to that. Elizabeth chose to live with Catherine Parr. And this is kind of a trigger warning. This is this is pretty messed up what happened. This is sexual assault and grooming. It is very predatory. That's your trigger. What happened next is awful. So she chose to live with Catherine Parr and Thomas Seymour. Thomas Seymour went out of his way to assault a 14-year-old girl. He assaulted Elizabeth daily, and I'm not talking like he said weird things to her. He went out of his way to go in her room when she was in nothing but a nightgown. The king's daughter slapped her butt, had these little pillow fights with her. Like, this would be frowned on today, even more so in this time frame. Now, Catherine Parr at this point was pregnant for the first time. And maybe that's why she let it go on so long. But what happens next, There, there isn't an excuse. 
There's no excuse for what happened. Elizabeth was wearing a gown. Thomas didn't approve of the gown. Thomas Seymour. And he told her to go change. And she told him, I'm the king's daughter, basically. I can do what I want. Back off. <sighs> Catherine Parr held Elizabeth while Thomas Seymour sliced the dress to ribbons on her body. And I'm, I'm not saying like he slashed near her knees or her arms, her chest, her genitals. Like he didn't cut skin, but he slashed the dress. And it was at the point where this dress was not wearable ever. He exposed her chest and various other parts. I'm, I'm holding back vomit, pardon me. Elizabeth deserved better, and she didn't deserve that. Whatever was happening in that house should never have been happening. Thomas Seymour was a predator, and he set his eyes on Elizabeth. In May of 1548, Elizabeth was sent away. Catherine Parr died the same year, giving birth. Thomas Seymour as I rolled my eyes, decided that he would try to marry Elizabeth. There was a council he would have to appeal to, and this council was like the Lord Protector and advisors, and either, if anyone wanted to marry Elizabeth or her sister, they would have to get the approval of the council. And this council was appointed until Edward reached majority. In any matters of state or marriage to the sisters, this council had to approve. It was denied, steadfastly. Thomas Seymour eventually was arrested of treason against the king. That's a whole nother episode too. Oh. And he was executed on March 20th of 1549. It was said Elizabeth knew of his treason. This is a rumor. This was a rumor. She was interrogated for it. But this was never proven that she knew of his treason in relative peace for a very short time. Mary soon became queen, queen and insisted that Elizabeth convert to Catholicism. Mary crying about herself being persecuted during Edward's reign to stay Catholic. It's just so interesting to me that she would persecute Elizabeth to convert her to being Catholic. Elizabeth would pretend to convert to keep Mary happy. Now, on to the Wyatt Rebellion. I'm not going to get into all the details about that, because there's so much about that. But there's something very, very important I will talk about about that. Um, to This was to dispose of Mary. Put Elizabeth on the throne. Pardon me. Mary would put Elizabeth in the Tower of London under suspect of treason. What's interesting to note is the Tide Letter. The Tide Letter literally saved Elizabeth's life. To enter the Tower of London, you had to enter before the Tide came in, or else you wouldn't be able to get into the Tower of London. Isn't that crazy? So she had to bide her time, because the longer she could avoid being in the Tower of London, the more time she had to think about how to save her skin. Elizabeth was a survivor, if nothing else. 
So she begged and begged to write a letter to her sister. And if you look up the Tide letter, it is, it's, I want to say beautiful, but it's ingenious. She, she wrote a full page and a little bit of a page on the backside. And she was so worried about forgery that she had made X marks all over the back of the page where there wasn't any writing to ensure there's no forgery. And it's interesting to note that this, this did literally save her life, actually. Mary was so mad that Elizabeth somehow was able to write this letter, and she got it. And there were literally letters of execution for Mary to sign condemning Elizabeth to death, but she could never bring herself to do so, luckily. On May 22nd, 1554, Elizabeth was released to house arrest and left the Tower of London. In April 1555, Elizabeth was recalled to court to attend the childbirth of Mary. Now, Elizabeth became queen at age 25 after Mary died in November 1558. Her reign became known as the Elizabethan Age and is considered as the Golden Age of England. She, su she supported the arts and poetry and theatre influenced men like Shakespeare and Walter Raleigh. I'm not going to go into her reign so much because it's so extensive and it's so cool. Like, oh, I loved, I love talking about Elizabeth. Um, her reign was always full of trouble. She fought with every tool in her arsenal to keep her throne and England safe. Now, if you are interested in the life of Mary I, a really good starting point would be The First Queen of England by Linda Porter. I've personally read this. I can recommend that. If you want to read more about the Tudors in general, how they came to power, who the major players were, Tudor, a family, by Leanda DeLiz is a good starting point as well. Um, if you are interested in Tudor history, there's kind of a whole bunch I'm just going to give you the easy-to-read ones here. The Tudors by G J not J. The Tudors by G J Myers is another good one, as well. If you are interested solely in the life of Elizabeth, I would recommend Elizabeth: The Struggle for the Throne by Dr. David Starkey. Elizabeth's Women by Tracy Borman. These are good starting points for anyone who is interested. Also, if you want to learn just, just about Henry and his six wives, you can read my favorite book, Six Wives by Dr. David Starkey. It is beautiful. Just a quick note on that. I watched the PBS book or PBS special, Six Wives by David Starkey. And I would have been in junior high and uh, I remember seeing the book, and the book was $80, and I wanted it so bad, but as soon as, like, they were like, oh, the book's like $80, I'm like, my parents aren't going to buy me an $80 book, and I was in a small town, and I was living in a small town, and they had this used bookstore, and I didn't think much of it, right, because you're in a small town, and it, it's pretty niche that you would find anything historically that I would like so I'm looking I'm looking and I was just about to leave and I saw this book The Six Wives by Dr. David Starkey and it was eight dollars 
and it was in mint condition. I have never been so happy in my life. <laughs> I was so happy to find that book, and I can't tell you the number of times I've read it. It's a really, it's a really good starting point. Enough of my love affair. As always, if you have any questions or you think I've missed something, you email me murder mystery and history at gmail.com. If there's a mystery you want me to talk about, if you want me to talk about history for a little while, I'll happily do so. If there's a murder you want me to dissect, we'll do that too. So, as always, until we meet again. <laughs>